Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Valerie Andrus, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thanks very much to Valerie for introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast. You can introduce a a show yourself if you like. Become a friend and we have the option to introduce a show or to get a shout-out. Shout-outs are back today, folks. And the reason shout-outs are back is because Catherine Whittaker's back. Hello, Catherine. Hello. And that was me thinking I was never really away. But yes, in in my most official capacity, I am indeed back. Have bounced and bounced are bouncing back. Indeed. I'm delighted to say Matt's here as well. And uh, we, we, we're getting sight of Catherine today in her hotel room for the final few minutes of her stay in Indian Wells. What have you been doing this morning, Catherine? Um, I have I had breakfast with Billie Jean King this morning. Of course in, you did. In normal news, yeah. <laughs> we We had omelettes. <laughs> Uh, somehow Catherine's only got sort of one more meal that she can have with Billie Jean King. She's had dinner, she's had breakfast ticked off. It's only lunch remaining. I'm available for lunch with Billie Jean King any time. Um, yes, we both had omelettes. Hers was healthier than mine. <laughs> Marvellous. OK, well, um, it's just the best news to hear that uh, Billie Jean is still in our lives, not only in our podcast, but she's actually meeting us, ticking us off one by one. Matt, Matt's done an interview with her in uh, the Billie Jean King Cup. Catherine's having breakfast with her. There's only me stuck here in Solihull. She doesn't show up here very often, so uh, I think I'm out of luck. Uh, anyway, we've got loads of uh, tennis to talk about since our last edition on Thursday. And it's all been a bit dramatic uh, with uh, both the men's and the women's tournaments finishing with Taylor Fritz surprisingly winning the men's title and Iga Sviantuk less surprisingly winning the women's title. Matt with a knowing look in his eyes because he picked it all along um but just before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of the tennis Catherine what's it been like this last two weeks of your life it has been pretty special actually I have really really loved it I'm ready to come home now because America is a wild wild place I I I really love it I love coming here I know we have a lot of American listeners and I don't want them to be offended because I love coming here and I've missed it so much um but it is a jungle out here <laughs> I, I, more so um, in Indian Wells than than other places that you've yeah, been, I I went mean, you've to, been to a lot of places there's a you? there's a local hot spot here called the nest which is a sort of if you know you know type thing it's like the club to go to it's sort of a restaurant that's also a club which is a genre of of uh, evening uh, entertainment that doesn't really exist in the UK. If you're going to a club, you're going to a club. It can't be a sort of, you're going out for dinner and maybe if you want to dance afterwards, you dance. No, this is, that's it's this, it's that, rather. Um, and uh, I thought, I've, it's, we've, I've just, we've just got to tick this off before we leave Indian Wells. Everyone's always talking about the nest. Um, so off we toddle last, last night after dinner at Cactus Jack's. 
Um, <laughs> I didn't shy away from you having a, a cliched, a cliched uh, California time. I had short ribs and they were delicious. Um, mm. And I also vinegar with my chips and I got looked at like I was a freak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, so then off we go to the nest and I, I just, and my jaw was on the floor for the, my whole time there. It was truly extraordinary. You got sort of, well, men that are claiming to be 21, but one can only assume <laughs> that they're using some kind of fake ID, sort of grinding up against women in the later stages of, of their life. Um, it's sort of wonderful in some ways, sort of clubbing for all ages. There's a there's a man just as a clown who's just there, and he's there every day. Apparently, he's just there. Um, yeah, it was it was really wild. The security guard, whose main job he walked around with napkins under his feet, mopping up any <laughs> spilled drink, which I appreciate because you know a sticky floor is the sign of a grungy evening, isn't it? It's a uh, He's it's done a that red, before. It's a red line. Oh, no, that's his job. It's a red oh. line between grungy evening and, you know, evening that you can tell your parents about. Um, so he's walking around with uh, with napkins un- under his feet, sort of dancing as he goes to so that people don't really notice what, what job he's doing. But he's just got two guns on his hips, a gun on each right. hip. Okay. Wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> oh, come home, Catherine. <laughs> And how was the tennis, Catherine? <laughs> I didn't talk about the tennis, did I? The tennis was great. I loved it. Um, yeah. What more can I say? It's been really, really great. I wasn't here in October, so I don't want to to speak for the people that were. And I think, you know, as with everything that happened upon tennis's resumption during the pandemic, we were just grateful that it was happening and delighted that it was happening. But it was... It was different and inferior, um, just like tennis without crowds was different, inferior and inferior. But we were grateful for it at the time. Well, you know, Indian Wells is back and um, it was just, it was resplendent, I think. I'm obviously incredibly biased because I was there and I've got a tan. <laughs> um, but it, it really felt like a, a jewel shining in the sun again. Hmm. Going to start with Matt's triumph, and that is Igish Fiontek beating my pick for the title, Maria Sakkari, 6-4-6-1 in the final. It was wind, I don't want to say wind assisted, but wind affected, certainly, again, Matt. And this, I mean, this is, has been the theme for the last couple of days. I, I always remember Indian Wells being windy, but these last couple of days seemed more extreme than ever. But I was really impressed with the way Svantec handled those conditions. She seems like she's moved to another level to me. Is that is that the sense you get? Yeah, it is rather. And I think, crucially for this match, it's the sense that Maria Sakkari gets as well because Sakkari had dominated, to be honest, their head-to-head last year. I think they played three times and Sakkari won all three. And they've played twice now in 2022. And Svantec has won both pretty easily, both in straight sets. And Sakari said she's a different player. She has changed the way she plays in terms of her aggression. She's more aggressive than ever. She's sort of taking the racket out of my hand. And I think Sakari said that all very well because that's what I'm seeing when I watch Svantec play now. There is just... There's a commitment to her shots, which I think she's had sort of at her best before, but she's sort of got it all the time now. Um, and at the same time, there's a really good mental approach that, yeah, she was in tricky conditions. She knew it wasn't going to be an absolutely perfect match that she was going to play. She accepted that. She didn't get bothered by making a few errors. Um, she just was kind of perfect in those conditions. And yeah, I was I was really, really impressed. And she sort of kept up this amazing run of form she's on, A, but also B, this run of incredible finals she's had. You know, she's won, she won 12 of her 13 sort of pro finals at sort of WTA and ITF level. She's won the last five beating top, top players very, very convincingly. She She plays her best when it matters. And that's such a... 
such a skill to have. Yeah, I'm I'm so impressed by by Shvontek this year, and it it does feel like she's gone up a level. And this is probably not even her favourite surface. I mean, there's probably not much to choose now. She's become so good on hard court, but to think she's still got the clay to come, it's it's sort of building up to be a really exciting season for Shvontek. I think. Yeah, I mean, she she um seems to me once she's broken the back of a match as well, because she got broken to love in the first game mm. of this contest with Zachary, but once she'd just found her feet, and this seems to be a theme of these big finals, once she's comfortable, watch out, mm. because her her toolkit is so expansive anyway. She's got so much she can do, but it felt almost as though she just put some of it away and just decided to just meet every challenge with brute force. And... I mean, look, Zachary brings it, doesn't she? And she brought it yesterday. She was trying to hit Sviantec off the court, and Sviantec just stood up to it totally. I mean, I felt she did a great job with the wind uh, of of sort of neutralizing that as an impact. But I don't know she's just she's able to to handle pretty much any kind of game. And um, what what I like, I mean, I like her demeanor generally. But I mean, you, Catherine got a first-hand experience of that demeanor it was one of the lovely features of the the role you had of presenting live tv but literally on the court at the end of the match you're there you're you're wrapping up what's going on with your pundits martin and avratilova and greg rozetsky and then over wanders Iga Svantec. Uh what, what what is she like well exactly as you find her exactly is you know your impressions of her would lead you to expect i think completely unassuming um, but with this sort of <clears throat> steely, steely core and determination, you know, you don't, you don't beat Carolina Pliskova love and love in a one thousand final without a ruthless streak, um, and yet she's just a, a delight. I love that contrast. I really do. Um, I think uh, Martina Navratilova. I mean, she's a big fan of Iga Svantec's anyway, as you, as you might expect. Or, probably would definitely expect. Um, but she's a huge fan of her new coach, Thomas Witterowski. Mm. You're both nodding at me. Well done, me, for well, that they, pronunciation. They worked she together, said, didn't they? Well, uh, yes, with, when, when, when Martina was sort of mentoring Agnieszka Radvanska, um, she worked with him. And I, I've never actually heard her speak so highly of a coach. She said if she had to choose a coach right now, uh, she would she would want to be coached by him. And that is, that's massive, really, isn't it? And uh, we know that the, the the project for Shantek, and she talked about this, Matt, so openly, didn't she? In a few press conferences of hers we attended in um, in Australia, is you know trying to get over her perfectionism. Um, and after she lost in the Australian Open, she said, "I I I feel okay about this because I know I played well um, and." I've got a lot from this tournament. I've learned that I can still play not so well and and win. Um, and I think that helped her to to not panic today when she did get broken to love in her opening service game. Um, I, she was really she was really nervous out there, and kind of as soon as she was able to eliminate nerves from her game, as soon as she loosened up, the match was hers. But I I think past Iga Swiatek might have might have panicked a lot more in that situation and just gone, oh, it's not going to be my day. It's not going to be my day. I've woken up on the wrong side of the bed. It's all is lost. Um, but that, yeah, ex- exactly as you've both said, and as Maria Sakkari pretty much said, she's changed and she's gone up a gear. And um, I really, really want Ash Barty back on tour so we can see them go toe to toe. You know, Shvantec herself referenced her rivalry with Sakkari in her in her post match speak speech, you know, she said, I think we've we've got a rivalry going and that's great. And it, it made me think about Naomi Osaka um a couple of years ago saying, you know, I really want a rival and I want these rivalries. That is the only thing missing for me from women's tennis at the moment. We're not seeing these these players at the very top meet enough. You know, bring back Bianca Andrescu, please. We have seen um, Instagram posts of her training at the IMG Academy this week, so hopefully that's not too far off. You know, I want to see Barty against Asaka, Asaka against Andrescu, Andrescu against Svantec, Svantec against Goff. I want to see you know Muguruza and Halep in the mix. I just want to see all of it all the time. <laughs> 
Yeah, me too. And and actually, I think especially Barty, look, I absolutely understand why Barty is taking the breaks that she is taking. And if she didn't take these breaks, I don't think we would have Ash Barty at all. So it's very important that, that she kind of does take them, I think. But I did miss Barty a little bit, you know, just because obviously tournaments are, are bigger than players and we had so much great tennis. But it does feel to me like Barty is the ultimate test right now. C- can your game compete against Barty's can it go up against Barty's and you know we're not getting to see that quite at the moment and that does detract a little something um it's not it's not a big problem because there's so many other great players and great matches but seeing Sviontek play the way she played just got me all the more excited about the potential for Sviontek Barty because I think Sviontek's coming on I think she would have a game that can go up against Barty's I mean I'm not I think they've played they played recently at the start of the year actually and Barty won pretty easily but already it feels like Sviontek's come on in these last few months she's got confidence she's understanding this this side that Catherine talked about about you know, putting her sort of perfectionism to one side sometimes and accepting what she's got on the day and playing with that. She's she's making so much progress. And, you know, Sviontek's world number two now. And, you know, I want to see her go up against the world number one because that's that's a great potential match, I think, right now. Mm. And whilst she may be putting the perfectionism aside in order to stop her kind of becoming paralysed by that, there's still... Uh, a voracious appetite to her to get better she's not satisfied is she she's not i won the french open that that's the tennis i'll play that will do she put that onto hard courts and grass and got a certain return on it didn't she and it was a decent return she she has not flopped in any way since winning that french open but she hasn't reached those heights again apart from these one or two massive finals where she's just destroyed the opposition. But this is the first time that it's happened at a Masters 1000 in Indian Wells where everybody, okay, not everybody else is there, but most players are there. I mean, she had to do it the hard way to, to win this title. It's 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 blooming difficult to, to beat the players that she beat. And it feels like she's she's definitely moved on to another level. Um, and, and I mean, look, she won Wimbledon Juniors as well. This is a woman who I I sense that she she wants it all. She wants to, and you see it in those celebrations, Catherine. I mean, the, those were amazing moments when she won those two, that the semifinal and the final. The way she just threw a racket up into the air and just she she's kind of unassuming on one level, but also not letting that hold her back. She just brings it. Rafa like. Who's her yeah. idol, of course? Who she she fist bumped on the way off off court. Oh, really? Um, after her ceremony, yeah. Nadal and Taylor Fritz waiting in the tunnel to come out for their final. That's um, and cool. there was a, a lovely, lovely moment there, like big brother, younger sister, and it's. I imagine I get the feeling that Iga Swiatek feels the way I do after breakfast with Billie Jean King when she <laughs> when she has a, a, an encounter with with Nadal and and he treats her like they're equals <laughs> and just fist bumps her like it's nothing I imagine she sort of goes home and goes what just happened um, which is lovely um, Maria Sacchi had a big semi-final win over Paola Badosa and that was a good good contest for for as long as it lasted before Sacchi started to to have her own way in it and I similarly loved her reaction to that the emotion that she had in her eyes when she was being interviewed afterwards she was she was tearful and but so proud that she'd made this next step but how do you come out of this tournament now Matt thinking about Maria Sakkari have we seen a, a significant move here or does she still have a problem because she's not making the final step yet yeah, I was going to ask you this actually, um, given <laughs> given that you picked Zachary to win the title, and then sort of how much progress Ooh, is. Do you see what he did there, David? The oh yeah, that was that was that deliberate was skullduggery. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Well, I mean, look, I I was delighted with with having her in the final um, because I did, even though I look at the list of players. 
I actually chose her because of the surface and the conditions. I felt I felt like the high bouncing ball. To me, she's just another one of these perfect clay court specimens. Strong, fit, huge top spin, power, massive kick serve. To me, she's perfectly set up to win the French Open one day, but maybe just a little bit inflexible at times. And and I th- so that's why why I went with her, but. When she got into the final, honestly, I was, because of the pick that I'd made, I was sort of willing her to win and trying to come up with a way in my mind that she could win whilst actually thinking if Sriantec plays her best tennis, she will lose because Sriantec just feels like she can handle it. And um, the, I mean, the, and then when the wind started blowing, she couldn't control her shots often enough. And, and I mean, I love that kind of paddled, staccato backhand she hits she sort of bunts it doesn't she but incredibly powerfully but it goes very low over the net and they showed the sort of difference in net clearance between the two players in the graphic and that thing was just not controllable in any sort of sustained way and so I I'm encouraged for her but I do think there's there's a problem because until you win one of these things you I think there is a danger that that can build up in the mind and become a, a bigger obstacle in the future. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, she's she's world number three now, Zachary, which has sort of snuck up on me a little bit, you know, when you consider that she hasn't done the winning of some of the other top players on the WTA Tour. It's one career title still for Zachary, and that was Rabat in 2019. You know, it's not a big title by any means, but I do still see this tournament as as a step, as you've said. I think there's still a lot more progress she, she can make and I think will make. But I see this as a step mainly because of the semi-final win because that has so far been such a huge obstacle for her. I think the reason she was so emotional afterwards was because there's been a lot of baggage there. She'd lost she'd lost 12 of her last 14 semi-finals on tour and wow. there've been some big ones, you know, Rome, Miami, Roland Garros, US Open, Guadalajara at the WTA finals, you know, a lot. Um so she needed that breakthrough and I think she got that breakthrough against, you know, the defending champion and she and she she really won it. She went out and won that semi-final playing really good tennis. I maybe naively thought that, you know, having broken that barrier, oh, you know, the, sort of the floodgates are going to open and, and she's done it. But I still think there's another step to make and that's getting herself more regularly in finals and, and trying to win them. I suppose, I suppose I give a little bit of a pass for the final, as you said, David, because of those conditions. They were so extreme and not, suiting her game at all um but yeah i think overall it's a really really positive fortnight for sakari absolutely but mm. i i don't think she would be content with saying okay she's done it now because her ambitions are much much higher than even a great week like reaching the final of indian Wells. she wants to be winning the big ones i do wonder though you know whether she is just a victim of the class that she's in the 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 sheer number of world-class players that would fit into any era and be competitive and if you stuck Zachary in certain other company I think she she might be winning some of these but I'm, I just when push comes to shove she's not as good as Barty and Sviantek and Osaka and Andrescu and there are things she can do really really well but she doesn't have all the options that they have I reckon yeah I, I think I think that's the size of it yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I would say I think she's almost she's almost there to capitalise because she's so consistent, you know, and Barty, we know, takes breaks. OK, Sviantec's really consistent at the moment, but Osaka and Drescu are not always there. And it does feel like, you know, yes, these are great, great players, but there are also opportunities on the WTA mm. Tour to win big. And I, she, she's constantly giving herself a chance, which is which is what I like. Catherine, there was um, a conversation you had with Daniela Hantikova where Daniela was saying that she found semifinals harder than finals. And and when Matt was reeling off that incredible stat of the amount of semis that Sakari's lost, did, did you get a sense, as you get an explanation from Daniela as to why she found that harder in the semifinals? Cause, because I heard her say it and I couldn't quite work out what the reasoning was. 
Well, she she said you, she said you feel like you have more to lose in the semi final. You know, once you're in the final, there's you know, in terms of matches to be played, there's 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 nowhere else to go. You're giving yourself the maximum opportunity, but um, it feels like the semi final is the place you know where you fall at the final hurdle in a in a strange way. Um, as Martina said, and Greg agreed with her while we were um, uh, talking just before the uh, trophy ceremony in the men's final, she said, oh, losing in the final is the worst. At least if you lose in the semi-final, you don't have to sit there during the trophy ceremony. You can just go <laughs> home. And I always think that. I mean, it's just painful. Painful. Yeah. It's, it's, anyway. Um, but I, I think it's probably quite hard to explain the psychology of why the semi-final is harder eloquently but I just sort of instinctively get it I I, mm. I, I, I sympathise with that I can imagine in that alternate universe where I am a, uh, a professional tennis player that reaches high level semi-finals um, I too would find be most nervous ahead of the semi-final um, than ahead of the than ahead of the final it's like the um you know, if it were Olympics, you'd be playing for a guaranteed medal, wouldn't you? Ah, that's your, your comparison than... that many, many have agreed mm. with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, and I suppose it does depend on, on personalities to some degree. But uh, mm. I thought I thought the women's tournament was absolutely brilliant all the way through. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a perfect microcosm of, of why the state of the sport is in such rude health at the moment. Um, and uh, Hologic have chosen a good time to come mm. on board. And it was really interesting. They, um, you know, it it doesn't seem to be just talking the talk about, you know, them being the perfect sponsor for the WTA and it being sort of a meeting of this perfect alchemy of, of branding. You know, they're walking, they had already... They had already set up a, um, you know, women's health screening station next to the accreditation office um, wow. by the players area for available for all of the all of the WTA players to come through, you know, bone density scanning, cholesterol, all of that important stuff, you know, and that's that's I didn't see that in PR anywhere. I don't think that's they're doing that, you know. For, for PR purposes, I think that is really walking the walk. Um, and yeah, it's early days, but all signs are incredibly positive, I think, um, for that partnership. Well, that's great. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The ATP men's tournament, well, it ended with an enormous surprise because, I mean, really the whole thing was building up to that match between Rafael Nadal and Carlos Alcaraz. We'll, We'll talk about that in a moment or two. But Taylor Fritz stole in and won the whole thing. And I mean, I think uh, I think we've spotted signs of of fairly significant improvement in him over the last couple of years. It's he's felt like a coming player, and probably the one of the American players who's who's been the most likely. I I thought it was going to be Tiafo when uh, when we started this year, and and that win that Fritz had over Tiafo in Australia really took me by surprise, and particularly the way he did it and. And he's an interesting character because he's there's been a lot of hype a number of years ago around him, and then it felt like that hype, quite honestly, was misplaced to some degree. And I and I questioned whether he was going to be bothered enough. Um, you know, he, he 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 was obviously having some results, and he got sponsors, and he obviously not struggling for money and all the rest of it. But what was very clear in in the last 18 months, I feel, or at least since coming back from the pandemic, is that this guy really does want it. And he does, he is trying and he's happy to come over to Europe and play on the clay and, and get points and, and, uh, and figure it all out. And he's got Paul Anacone with him and he's got Michael Russell, who's a real workhorse of a coach, sort of week to week as a former player. And, and, this was a fantastic win, not only to because of who he beat in the final. I know Nadal was compromised physically, and we'll talk about how Fritz was compromised physically as well. But I, I was just really, really impressed that he was semi-finalist in October in Indian Wells, and he's come back and he's gone and won the whole thing. That's it's very impressive, Catherine. Absolutely, and um, yes, Nadal was compromised, but most players would have lost to him yesterday, regardless of that. A hundred percent. And Taylor Fritz could very easily have lost to him yesterday. Um, He, I think he might have grown fangs. I don't know if that's possible. That's a conversation we need to have with Mary Carrillo, the the author of The the Fang Can you grow fangs mid-career? I think he has. I did not think this guy had fangs a few years ago. I thought that's what was was missing and and perhaps he was overhyped because of where he was from you know if if he'd been from i don't know insert literally any country here um would he have been as as hyped as he was you know being a being from a country that's just desperate to sort of resume their lineage in in the men's sport that's been just used to so much success over the years um i don't know but even aside from that you know he's obviously got talent in terms of his game huge talent um but uh, yeah he i don't think he don't think he worked you know as hard as a lot of other other people were at the same stage of their careers he's lived a lot of life for a 24 year old he's he's got a a, a baby i think well not a baby a, a 5 year old ish i think he's been married and divorced mm. he's um he's got a long term girlfriend now who's a a tiktok star david um, she's trying to bring tennis to a new audience, um, which all power to her. Good luck. Um, you know, good on her. It must be a very strange life just traveling around the world with your with your partner. Obviously, lots of glamorous perks to it. But to give herself some, you know, some purpose and some some meaning to all that, you know, great. Try and bring try and bring tennis to the masses. Brilliant. Um yeah, and he he came over to to speak to us after the win. He was a sta- in a state of dazed disbelief. You know, he's really he's really likable, and he you know he sounds like he's sort of tranquilized. He's so you know Californian in the way he speaks. Oh, I just can't believe it. Um, but that you know, in the words that he was saying, there was real fangs. He said, "I said, what now for you?" And he said, "It's really important that." I'm not satisfied with this. This isn't enough. This mm. is amazing. It's a dream come true, but I am not going to be satisfied with this. And I just don't think there's any way a few years ago Taylor Fritz would have been would have been saying that. Um and he might be he must might be a he's either the 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 exception that proves the rule 
or he's evidence that it is possible to grow fangs. And I think we've got a pretty direct example of how much he's grown in the last year because we saw Fritz play an injured Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open last year. That was the match, I think, in the third round of that tournament where Djokovic hurt his abdominal muscle. And it was also the match where the crowd left halfway through and it was all it was all strange and Fritz initially got it back to two sets all and I can't I can't quite remember what we said at the time after that match about Fritz's performance in the fifth set but I don't think it was positive I don't think it involved fang fang compliments no absolutely I think I think we probably called his tennis a bit immature probably because he didn't play seemingly the right way against an injured Djokovic who was kind of there for the taking in that set. Anyway, we then had him play an injured Nadal in the biggest match of his life, the Indian Wells final. And I agree with you, Catherine. I think I was watching that match thinking, okay, you know, the worst player to face in this situation is is a fully fit Nadal. But an injured Nadal is probably in the top three or five as well of difficult opponents to face. And the second set proved that. Nadal made that really, really tough. And... Every time Fritz responded brilliantly, you know, Nadal had several break points in that second set. And I would think I think only on one of them did Nadal do something that he would want back. Otherwise, Fritz took it from him. He ripped it from him with either a big serve or a big forehand, which I think's improved a lot. And I thought he played the right way. I thought he played with confidence and with intent. And he... He went out and won that match, and I was was kind of blown away by that performance, actually, even even bearing in mind Nadal's injury, which, sure, was a factor. I think Fritz was still so, so impressive. And, and there is some concern over this injury for Nadal. What he did, he seemed to get some sort of twinge in the previous match against Carlos Alcaraz around his left pectoral, didn't he? His sort of chest and rib injury. He he had Per Bastot, the trainer, come on and, and kind of click his back. He got him face down and made, made his, his back click and, or something like that, and, and that seemed to help. But when he came out here very quickly, it was it was obvious that he'd got a problem. He was three love down within minutes and, and he just didn't, he looked ratty the whole, the whole first set and a half really as though he he was just a bit done with it all. I mean, he, he had won obviously 20 matches out of 20 this year so far. Obviously things have been going incredibly well, but he looked fed up. He looked as though he, this thing was hurting and, and he, and he looked as though frankly he was questioning whether he was going to even bother carrying on and finishing this match. And, and then the old, the fighting spirit kicked in, didn't it? And and he 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 went all the way to to the line. I mean, he got five four up in that second set tie break with a mini break, and that's the moment that I looked at Taylor Fritz because I, I knew the result when I woke up because I, I fell asleep during this match for the last two games and, and watched the the end of it this morning, and I, so I knew the result. But at five four, I'm thinking, well, hold on a minute, how does how does Fritz win it from here? Because he's four or five down. Nadal's the crowd's going crazy. Nadal's pumping the air like a celebration, as in I've I've got this now, and and it doesn't happen. And I was I was massively impressed, Catherine, the way Fritz what he actually did. He turned around to to his coach four or five down, and he said, "Come on," not like "Oh, it's all going wrong." It was more of a sort of "Come on, I can still do this," and I thought. Good for you. That's that's really impressive against Nadal. Absolutely. Same as both of you. I was really blown away by him yesterday. I think Paul Lanaker, I mean, Michael Russell is as well. And I think they're a good, good complement to one another. Um, good, good sort of set of a coaching twin set. Um, but I think just, you know, a bit like Murray was saying with Lendl, I think just Paul Anacone saying yes and wanting to be on board the Taylor Fritz train um, that must give him a lot of confidence. You know, the fact that someone like Paul Anacone believes in him because he's not going to mess around and waste his time um, with somebody that isn't going to show the, you know, the right commitment and the right potential. I think that's really big for him in terms of belief. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, Nadal had changed 
he, this is this is Martina Navratilova's observation, but he'd changed his technique a little bit. He was hitting the forehand later in order to change the sort of torsion um, in his upper body, which once pointed out by one of the greatest players of all time was very obvious to me, but obviously in a million years I'd never have spotted it um, without it being without it being pointed out by her. It is all going to make one heck of an episode of um, Serve to Survive or whatever it'll be called on Netflix. Um, oh, good, I was sat, good title, Catherine. I was sat below... I just came up with that, actually. I was sat below the, um, the Taylor Fritz player box... Um, for that match and at the risk of sounding like Stefanos Tsitsipas I think I'm going to be on Netflix um, <laughs> <laughs> because there was a uh, there was a Netflix camera trained on them the whole time um, and you can just imagine how that storytelling is going to go isn't it I mean Taylor Fritz injured his ankle um, in his semi-final against Rublev um, and then uh, that that was on Saturday, so only 24 hours rest. He comes out Sunday morning for a hit um, and he screams out in agony, said it was the worst pain he's ever felt. Curtails that practice after five minutes, gets it all taped up, comes out and practices again at 2.15. Everyone's speculating at about what time exactly Taylor Fritz is going to pull out of the biggest match of his life. I heard speculation that Ben Stiller might be called upon to play an exhibition uh, in order to please the crowd, which was not a prospect I was looking forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then out they come. And as you comment, I'm I'm not throwing you under the bus here, David, because I thought exactly the same. But you said Taylor Fritz looks sad. As he walked onto court. He did. Uh, I felt so sorry for him. He looked, I mean, when he went three love up a few minutes later, I thought I, I remember thinking it was to myself, bizarre. Maybe it was I mean, just nerves, but no, I really believe it was sadness. Yeah, it was. I mean, he did not expect to be competitive out there today. He said, "I don't know what happened, but my ankle felt okay." He said, "I've got an MRI booked for tomorrow. There's a big chance I'll be paying for it. Um, I don't know about Miami. All I can tell you is my ankle was okay for the two hours of that match today, and I can't explain why." Um, but honestly, if you were trying to script an episode of the Netflix show, you you couldn't you couldn't do much better. I wonder what they'll I wonder what they'll call it. I just watched um, an episode of Drive to Survive, which had the name Dances with Wolf, um, in reference to Toto Wolf, the um, the Mercedes team principal. So I hope I don't know answers on a postcard if you can come up with the name of this Netflix episode because it's definitely <laughs> getting an episode and like Stefan or Sitsipas I think I'll be in it <laughs> this this is Fritz's thing is it his trademark sort of miraculous comebacks because he's the guy who had meniscus surgery and three weeks later was winning <laughs> matches at Wimbledon now he's experiencing worst pain of his life hours later he's beating Nadal in a final yeah, and he's got this extraordinary um, deciding set tiebreak record. Um, obviously, mm. he didn't need that in the final, but you unearthed this stat, Matt, that at all levels, he's won 19 out of 22 deciding set tiebreaks. Um, and when I when I dropped that stat bomb on Martina on air, thanks very much, Matt. Um, she the face she made, I've I've never felt so good about myself. <laughs> She was she was A, impressed by the stat and B, impressed by Taylor Fritz. She said, wow, that tells me something about him that I, I didn't know. That does not happen by accident. That tells you something about Taylor Fritz. And I wonder whether at 4-5, mini breakdown in that tie break, that's where it comes into play. This inner belief, this inner steel that he, he doesn't shirk when he's facing down a challenge like that and I mean just just to talk very briefly about his game as well I mean got to see a lot of it this week because he went all the way and he was on the big matches got to see how explosive he's made that forehand I mean he's looking to take people out there was a I think the first pretty much the first game he played against Andre Rublev yeah you know how hard hit Rublev hits the ball he hit one forehand that smashed into the tape that had the crowd laughing at it because it was just so 
dismissive of Rublev's power. It was kind of, I don't care where this goes, I'm going to hit it as hard as I can. And he's got a thundercrack of a shot on that forehand. And when when you had him um, after that match chatting away, Catherine, with you guys, he was very defensive and protective about his own backhand because there was some reference about how good... (laughs) about how good good his forehand was and he was like well i like i like my backhand actually and and when you watch that backhand up against the nadal cross-court forehand and the damage that shot does to everybody else or so many other people and that backhand was standing up to it comfortably he was taking them on the rise he was just swishing them cross-court back or he could turn it down the line it's such a clean hit and um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed watching the guy. Um, it's fantastic. And, and I noticed as well, he said about when he turned, it, it, he was feeling the ankle in that practice. He said, I was trying to act tough so that people, and he said, people were thinking that I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating this because of how much I screamed out, but I was actually trying to act tough and not scream out. Um, so goodness knows, I, I, I didn't, I didn't read the press conference transcript, but I was thinking, you know, I wonder whether he's had a major cortisone shot or something like that, that as he says, when it wears off, (laughs) forget Miami, (laughs) no chance, but I, I can get through two hours. And, um, thanks to a very strange, uh, glitch in the ATP rankings, he briefly made his top 10 debut this morning. Because the ATP accidentally um, counted all the Indian Wells points twice. So he, he went up all the way to number eight in the rankings this morning. But actually, he is number 13. And he still has to wait to make his top 10 debut. But I thought that was quite amusing. Very amusing. Well, what about Nadal? Um, I mean, the story of his run to the final from when we last spoke, Matt. He played Kyrgios and he didn't lose to Kyrgios as I said he would. Um, so uh, lots of people have been reminding me of this. Um, but it was the usual, wasn't it really? A very up and down emotional match. Kyrgios was absolutely brilliant for an hour um, and then he lost his mind a few times and behaved pretty badly uh, at times and then he behaved absolutely abominably after match point because he smashed his racket into the ground um it was unintentional that it flew off and nearly hit a ball kid in the face the kid actually had to move a step in order for it to avoid hitting him at a real rate um and uh, when that eventually surfaced on social media curios uh, addressed it set up some sort of meeting with the kid videotaped it and um, and put it out on social media to show himself giving the kid a racket, um, which uh, which was his um, attempt at an apology. Um, but Nadal's performance, it felt like he was managing all of these situations. And then he ends up playing against Carlos Alcaraz in the semis. And I mean, in terms of the contrast and the, or rather the kind of contest between the two of them, it did not disappoint. It was everything right from the 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 moment before the match where Alcaraz was doing <laughs> doing these jumping jacks right on the spot, right in from Nadal's face. You know, his knees up to his chin, um, and uh, and you know he came out and broke him immediately he was hitting the living daylights out of the ball he was knocking Nadal off the court frankly for a couple of games and then things settled down Nadal goes on a run of four games and then a hurricane arrives in set number two uh I mean Catherine just just give us an idea of what the what the atmosphere was like ahead of that match because it looked crackling it looked electric from even just from watching on TV to see Nadal against Alcaraz. I mean, Matt had sent us this this front page of Marca, the the big Spanish sports newspaper, which had got the two of them on the front cover, hadn't it? But what what did it feel like to be there? Did you feel like Indian Wells was on to Alcaraz already before that? Oh match? yeah. And, and and what was it big like time. once once it had finished? It's such an informed tennis crowd um, in Indian Wells. You know, a lot of them are people that have travelled from goodness knows where to to be there and you don't do that if you're sort of casually interested in the sport Indian Wells knew about Carlos Alcaraz 
and yet was also still intrigued and in the end surprised by Carlos Alcaraz. Um, there was there was a sense of huge expectation and also the unknown um, about about that match. And I'm just so relieved that it didn't disappoint. In fact, I think it, in some ways, it over-delivered. Um, it's overwhelming the su- support and goodwill that Nadal has in Indian Wells. I hadn't really appreciated it before this year. I mean, obviously, he's popular wherever he goes. But there does seem to be a bit something a bit special about his relationship with this tournament. They... He yeah he rides rides a tidal wave of support and emotion whenever he steps out onto court. I mean it wasn't even close the the um, the relative volumes of the receptions for um, for Nadal and Fritz as they walked out for final for the final. It was yeah different gravy for Nadal to what it was for Taylor Fritz and he's flipping Californian. Um, but yeah, I I spoke to. Sorry for for name dropping here, but I spoke to Billie Jean King about this match this morning, and she she tweeted about it as well. She said it was one of the best matches she's ever seen, and she and she says that for, for, for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is the fact that set two was played in a sandstorm, because as Billie Jean King says, champions adjust, and she loved seeing them having to adjust and problem solve out there. I know lots of people f- will feel differently about watching that second set. I find it quite stressful to watch wind play, and that's because I am a terrible wind tennis player. In fact, I'd just rather not not ever play tennis than play tennis in the wind. It's, it's, it's cruel and unusual punishment. I consider it basically a different sport. So I guess I'm sort of projecting and feeling that an- anxiety, um, but there was just um, an element of, you know, marvel about watching them figure it out. I mean, it, we've got two players here, particularly Nadal, whose shots bend in the air anyway. Add in a sandstorm, and we're talking swirly wind here. You don't know where it's coming from. It it feels like it's coming from all directions. Like it's, you know, you're being kettled by the wind. Um, yeah, it was. It it was. It was pretty extraordinary in all in all the ways. I thought it was a really special night and and a match I will remember for a long, long time. And I learned a lot about Alcaraz in that match, um, especially in that second set, in the windy set, because, you know, I I think of... I was surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of Nadal as the best win player I've ever seen. You know, someone who mm. has the right mindset, doesn't feel sorry for himself in the wind, has the margin on his shots. He's just, he's set up to play in those conditions. And actually it was Alcaraz who who dealt with it better. You know, that's as flustered as I've seen Nadal in the wind. And his game, his game got worse in that second set, very, very understandably. Alcaraz's game somehow got better because he was he was pulling the trigger a bit too early on shots in the first set. He was making some errors and he he made fewer errors in a hurricane than he did when there wasn't a hurricane, basically. It was kind of remarkable, the second set, and that really got him into the match. And then in the third set, I mean, both of them were just phenomenal f- from the first few games until the end of that set. Some of the rallies were unbelievable. And what what sort of sticks out most for me is, you know, we know Alcaraz is this incredibly exciting talent, uh, you know, Nadal said he prepared for that match like he was playing a top eight player. That's what he considers Alcaraz already. And, you know, you know that was Nadal himself years ago. He was precocious. He was talented. But Nadal won this match through his development as a player. You know, he won this match because he can do things now that he didn't used to be able to do in terms of volleying. His net coverage was unbelievable with his reflexes tight on the net coming up with volleys that frankly you thought he'd missed that he would hit for winners his backhand is better than it ever used to be and it just just kind of showed I thought you know Alcaraz is already amazing he's already great I'm so sure he's going to have a good career you know touch wood injury doesn't affect him but Nadal just sort of reminded him down the other end you know if, if you want a legendary career You've got to keep evolving and keep improving because you've got to get to the kind of tennis that I'm playing. And I just thought that contrast between the sort of youthful 
promising Alcaraz and the guy who's already done it for 15, 20 years was was kind of fascinating to watch play out. Mm. And I, I get the sense that Alcaraz is going to relish that development mm. in his own game because he's just he's already trying to add serve and volley into it and and stuff like that which is an amazing thing to see a young lad with a baseline game like that prepared to do already um but but I but I agree with you I mean it was it, it was Nadal just delving into everything he's ever done in order to find the answers and uh, and it was just intoxicating as a as a contrast and and also the the moment that the wind dropped and then they it was like they said right then let's go for it lads we can stop hitting it down the center let's tee off for half an hour see who's got it yes it was like it was like that moment in an F1 race where they get rid of the safety car and they were just unleashed suddenly <laughs> it was like it was like a sprint to the finish um god it was amazing and look nadal look i know he lost the final but he has enriched and lit up this first few months of the tennis season i'm mm. i'm really in complete awe at what he's done his best ever start to a season at his age having just come back from you know a really career threatening injury and yeah i've enjoyed watching him so so much and i'm kind of fascinated by what he does about the clay now you know given given he has had an injury here the the foot has also been a problem I don't know whether he's going to play his usual full schedule on the clay I would think he would try but it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does about the clay over the next few months that's going to be another kind of fascinating element to Nadal's season I think yeah because he's not going to play Miami he's due to play Monte Carlo then Barcelona then Madrid then Rome the usual um so yes we will watch with interest and uh, bring you uh, all of the movements as uh, as they take place right the doubles tournaments um Jack Sock and John Isner won their second Indian Wells title together they also won in 2018 heck of a run to the title they beat uh, Nikola Mektic and Mateo Pavic in round 1 uh, Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis in round two. So that's the Australian Open champions and uh, the multiple Grand Slam champions in the previous round. Stefano Tsitsipas and Feliciano Lopez in the quarterfinals. Zverev and Goliubev in the semis. And then uh, Gonzalez and Roger Vassalan in the final. I mean, Jack Sock, in the words of John Isner, Catherine, best doubles player in the world, hands down. Mm. That's a burn, isn't it, for the special Ks who are... <laughs> who are taking a momentary break from changing the sport. (laughs) Now, uh, you're going to have to help me with the names of the women's doubles champions, Catherine. I've got them written down in front of me, but I'm really not confident. You've been saying them all week. Who won the title? Zhu Zhu and Yang, uh, the first all-Chinese pairing to win a title at 1,000 level. Um, and they were a joy to watch. Actually, Zhu in particular, she was she was a magician out there in terms of what she what she could do with her racket. It was um, yeah, it was it was a it was a really classic doubles watch. Um, and they beat um, Asia Muhammad and who was Asia Muhammad's partner? Ina Shibahara. Ina Shibahara, yes. Um, but Asia Muhammad is the one I'm thinking of because she's just been on a ridiculous tear um, recently. She was unbeaten in singles and doubles across 20-ish matches, 27. I think. Most of the Wow, most of those at ITF level, it has to be said. But, you know, wins are wins. And, you know, she... Mm reached the final at a 1000 level with Ina Shibahara and that was they were a scratch pairing for that tournament so um yeah and they they took a break early on um and it looked like you know the role would continue and uh Zhu and Yang were in- incredibly impressive to turn it around and that's quite a big deal you know first all Chinese pairing um to win at this level so um ones to watch yeah, very much so. Uh, so Miami is starting tomorrow, the WTA event. The ATP event starts on Wednesday. A couple of draw highlights here. Amanda Inisimova against Shelby Rogers in round one. Naomi Osaka could face Angelique Kerber in round two. It's like this all the time, isn't it? Just <laughs> Grand Slam champions facing off. Um, talking of which, Emma Raducanu against Simona Halep is a possible round three. In the ATP event, Novak Djokovic is, uh, by the way, he's back to number one in the world. Of course, he's not playing Miami 
Miami, but he's got himself back to the top ranking. Um, Daniel Medvedev needs to get to the Miami semis to get it back. Uh, could face Andy Murray in the second round, could Daniel Medvedev. Murray faces uh, Federico Del Bonis in the first round. And a quarter that has Stefano Tsitsipas, Carlos Alcaraz, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Taylor Fritz, unless he withdraws. They're all in the same quarter, which is a, a really packed little section of the draw. Um, in the Davis Cup, the four cities for the group stages in September have been announced as Glasgow, Bologna, Hamburg, and Malaga. Uh, Canada have received a wild card in replace of Russia, who've been banned from the competition, the defending champions or the reigning champions, uh, having lost four love in the qualifying. Um, they have still got in Canada, and that has raised some serious eyebrows. Marty Fish, who's the US captain, tweeted, Wait, what? You lost four love in the qualifiers. What's going on here, Davis Cup? And Andy Roddick agrees and says this is a really dumb rule. They're determined to make it a full-on exhibition. It's... um. I, I just can't be doing with wild cards in the Davis Cup. It's 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 really as simple as that. And I think if they didn't have wild cards, they'd they'd get themselves out of all sorts of trouble, really. But uh, anyway, that's the situation we have. Um, we have a mascot. Let's uh, let's move on to that because that's a happier note to to end this tennis podcast with. Uh, who is it, Matt? It is Shadow Wado. I think I'm saying that correctly. Right, Shadow Wado. Uh, Shadow is an 11-year-old Labrador retriever owned by Dan and Andrea. And Shadow is lovely. Thoughts, Catherine? Very lovely. Extremely lovely. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for a Labrador slash any canine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really am a sucker for a Labrador. Rosie's half Labrador. Bella... Um, a previous dog was full Labrador, and uh, Shadow is Shadow is ticking ticking all the boxes. Sh- sorry, <laughs> Shadow Wado, I misspoke. Um, yeah, lots and lots of loveliness. And um, Dan, Andrea, and Shadow Wado are from uh, Pasadena in California, which is uh, a place I've heard a lot about this week. I've been working with all sorts of people from all over. Um, the jungle that is the United States of America, and one of them was from from Pasadena, which apparently is a lovely place. So I'm sure Shadow Wado is is leading a lovely life there. Marvelous, uh, as is Darwin. Despite the fact that we were crushed by Maria Sakkari's final defeat and uh, Carlos Alcaraz losing in the semis, um, Catherine has Carter as her mascot. Matt has Gerald the Cat. Um, Billie Jean has uh, Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner as our executive producers and very much top blokes. And we also have the return of Shoutouts, Matt. We do. An, an exciting moment after two podcasts without them. We have today Sally Wells from Cape Town. Hey, Hello, hi, Sally. Sally. Like Alan I Wells, think... the 1980 Olympic champion. Yes, I think I might. Uh, I think I might have almost been called Sally. I think Sally might have been an alternative name that my parents were considering. Mm. Hello, Sally. <laughs> We have uh, what I am actually called, Matt Thomas, uh, who is oh. from Sydney. Right, Matt. Well, we like Sydney and we like Matt's and we like Thomas's. <laughs> Thomas Enquist, yeah. lovely chap. Indeed. Thanks very much for Muster. being a friend of the Tennis Podcast and getting yourself a shout out. Who's our third and final, Matt? We have Daniel Bergston, who is from Stockholm, but now lives in France. And he describes himself as a devoted tennis dad and tennis taxi driver for his two sons. I'm sure that is very relatable for a lot of tennis parents out there. Thank you, Daniel. Um, Daniel Evans is still what Dan Evans is called on the um, on the ATP website, isn't it? So there's your tennis, Daniel. And also Taro, Daniel. Very quick thinking, Catherine. Daniel, thanks ever so much. Thanks to all of you for 
being our friends, friends of the tennis podcast, which uh, if you're not already one of them, uh, you can join the gang and you can listen to all of our additional podcasts that we've got just for friends. We've got another one recording in the next couple of weeks uh, for friends questions, uh, which are coming in by the boatload at the moment. I mean, they're coming in on email, but, uh, you know, I'm saying there's lots of them. And uh, yeah, you can chuck yours our way as well if you become a friend of the show uh, you can get a shout out you can get an intro um catherine is off to board a plane to return to this this green and wonderful land uh and and it's actually sunny here at the moment catherine so you know we're, we're, we're doing our best to sort of break you back in gently i, I it is much appreciated i hope i hope from now until forevermore i can just bounce from one summer to the next okay we'll like work on this all right mm. okay well, well we'll we'll be back with another tennis podcast as well a week from now miami will be underway and we'll be with you for it see you then mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.